Welcome to episode 82 of the Roger Snipe Show. The Roger Snipes Show. Yo, hope all is fabulous once again. So, today's podcast is going to be um, kind of relevant to this week, really. So, this week is known as mental health week i'm not too sure what dates that falls into i think it's the 10th to the 16th of this week and we are currently on the 13th um so yeah i'm assuming mental health week is to bring awareness to people that there may be people around them that are suffering from some kind of uh mental disorders um or maybe even to check in on themselves and make sure that they are okay you know maybe uh get some special help if needed talk to somebody you know if you can't afford someone professional just um yeah do something about it so i find I, i'm trying to work out what this mental health uh, awareness week uh, actually means I haven't actually really looked into it I'm just I guess that's my own kind of theory on it maybe it's uh, just for people to have awareness that there's others that have mental illness and uh, to check in on your family and make sure that they're cool your friends make sure that they're cool as well and I guess if everybody is making an active effort to check in on each other then I guess we'll be happier people but um, I guess my thoughts on that is, well, why don't we do that anyway? Why don't we do that anyway? Why should we wait an entire year <laughs> for one week to consider, um, yeah, looking into our, just uh, what's going on in our brain? You know, like if you think about it, let's say a computer, for instance, if you leave it just without checking the RAM, um, if you allow the processor to overheat, if you've got too much stuff on your desktop, which I, I guess uh, um, if we was to put it in a metaphorical sense, maybe that will be your mind. <laughs> the desktop is your mind. I don't know. But like if, if it's a complete mess and you don't tidy things up on your laptop, then... Uh, eventually it's gonna slow down and potentially break down and people probably spend more time cleaning up their their laptop than they do their brain or their mind which you'll learn on this episode is uh quite different because to talk about your brain and your mind they are two different things and uh that is the reason why i have an expert on today to discuss that and the name of the person who I'm speaking to goes by the name of Caroline Leaf. She is a neuroscientist and mental health and mind expert. She's also the best-selling author and researcher, activist and many other things. Um, best-selling author of a book called uh, cleaning up your mental mess which is a book which i um recently purchased 
And um, wow, amazing, amazing. It's a practice that people need to follow. Everybody's got a mental mess. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, you can be very organized, in fact. Even the most organized person at times will have mental mess that goes on. And it's all about getting back to a nice uh, procedure in getting that sorted out. You know, getting you back on track, clean and tidy it up so that you can function uh, mentally on a higher level. So that's um, something to definitely look into. And that is something which we're going to learn today. So as I said, the person we are speaking to is Dr. Caroline Leaf. She has spent the last 30 years researching the mind-brain connection, nature of mental health and formation of memory. She was one of the first in her field to study how the brain can change with directed mind input neuroplasticity. Throughout her years of clinical practice, she has helped hundreds of thousands of people learn how to use their mind to detox and grow their brain to succeed in every area of their lives, including school, universities, and workplace. Let's bring on Caroline Leaf. So Caroline, it is a great pleasure to be speaking to you. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. So I discovered you through um, a podcast. Uh, who was it? Sharma Durek. Oh, yes. Sharma Durek is a good friend of mine. Right, right. Cool. It was such a powerful conversation. I was... I was blown away. You know, I follow, I follow his work on social media, but I didn't know he had a podcast for some reason. And I only recently discovered it and you was on there and it was such an amazing conversation. I was like, okay, what's this lady's name? And let me write it down because I'm going to reach out. I need to speak to her as well. Oh, um, well, thank you. That's great. I mean, I saw your, um, when I was you know, reading up on you as well, looking at your Instagram, I love what you do. So that's great. God bless you. Thank you so much. I think one of the things which um, we cross over and have similarities is the uh, the interest in the mind. And it's something which I speak about quite a lot. And it's something that has helped me personally over the years. And that's something that you specialize in, isn't it? Absolutely. I've spent nearly 38 years now studying what the mind is and the difference between the mind and the brain and the mind-brain connection and on all different levels, therapeutic levels, and then just general application in life as humans. Mind drives everything. Yeah, absolutely. Mind, we have a mess. <laughs> could, you, could you give me, um, yeah, which actually goes into your book, isn't it? And what's the name of your book? It's clean, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. Yes, cleaning up your mental mess. I only got the audio version recently. Um, when it comes to physical books, I'm still working on that, but audio version, I listen to it while I go for a cycle. So um, I love yeah. audio books too. I love it. It's a great way of processing information as well. So yeah, yeah. If I didn't have audio books, then I don't think I'd know as much as the things that I do know now. Seriously. See, I 
tell you, audiobooks are fantastic. It's so great, as you say, when you go cycling, or you're working out on the treadmill, or you, you know, wasting time in a plane. You know, there's like you can listen to an audiobook. It's wonderful. Exactly. So, um, let's give me a little introduction about yourself, like who you are and uh, what you do. Absolutely. Okay, so I am a cognitive neuroscientist and communication pathologist, and what that basically means is that I have been researching the whole mind-brain connection for nearly 38 years now. I'm a scientist, do clinical research, I still do trials. I practiced clinically for 25 years with quite hectic stuff, people with traumatic brain injuries and um, head traumas and dementias and Alzheimer's and autism, learning disabilities, severe traumas like war trauma, sexual trauma, all that kind of thing. So mm. I was trained to see what a person was doing and saying and how they were functioning and the emotions and things, and then to track that back to find out why they were doing that, to find the root cause. So very good training that set me up for what I was doing. But interestingly enough, I was training in an era where they didn't believe the brain could change. That's back in the 80s, so that dates yeah. me. And um, they really didn't believe the brain could change at that stage. And I remember challenging one of my neuroscience professors and neuroscience was in its infancy in the 80s. And I remember challenging them and saying, but you know, our mind's changing all the time. We're growing as humans. So therefore the, the mind isn't the brain, they're separate and the brain is, must be changing because the mind's changing because the mind uses the brain. And I remember that professor saying to me, that's a ridiculous question. And I had another professor who said, no, that's not such a ridiculous question. And I started doing research. And that really prompted me as a young scientist to understand what is the mind? What is the brain? What are thoughts? What are memories? What are emotions? How does this whole thing work? And what level of control do we have? Do we have control? Can we change our thoughts? Are we a victim of our thoughts? And then just people that have got damage to their brain, can, can you change? And people have had trauma and their mind's been affected and so on. So, so began my journey. And it still continues and now I don't practice anymore I just write lots of books and I <laughs> teach around the world and I have a global platform just trying to help people understand the, the power of mind and how mind it's the mind is everything if your mind is not right nothing else in your life will go right and the most basic way of understanding mind is if you think of the fact that you and I are here having this conversation and we've got listeners and viewers that are listening to us that what is the difference between us and someone who's dead it's the mind so the mind if you want to look at the most basic simple way of looking at it it's your aliveness it's your ability to experience life and to have these conversations and to process everything that's going on around you every moment that you're alive and so it's your mind enables you to do that and so i want to understand how what is that what and what is the consequence of mind and what level of control and i'm happy to tell you all these years later that we have the most amazing minds that are, which I know you know already, but we can control them and we can develop them and we can train them. We have different types of minds and different ways the mind functions. And when you understand that, it's just the most exciting thing. You know, you recognize that inner power that we have in us. And well, there from there, it just, it just explodes into all kinds of arenas, mental health and people healing from accidents and so on. So that's what my life's work has been. Cool. That must be really, really exciting, to be honest. It's something that you never find all the answers. You just discover new stuff and discover and discover and discover. And like, oh my God, like forever. And that's how I find it with uh, fitness. Like, you know, understanding what types of nutrition or work for my body and the different sorts of training regimes. I'm like, oh my God, there's another way. And there's another way. And there's another way. It's, it's, it's really fascinating stuff. 
it's endless. It's an endless search to understand how we function as humans and how things, and as knowledge is increasing, how we can increase and release that that, that energy, that power that's in us. And it's not this simple, you know, as, as you heard me talk with, to Shaman Derek, um, that's where you've heard about me. It's not just a simple, it's not like the secret. We're not talking about that here. We're not talking about a simple, oh, I've got to imagine it and I'm going to get it. I'm going to attract it to myself. It's much more complex than that. It's much more deep. It's much deeper. And it's, and you know, the, I think one of the easiest ways to understand the concept we're trying to talk about is that mind is a malleable concept. It's, it's malleable and there's different types of mind. And if you think of the fact that I don't, do you play a musical instrument? Uh, no, I used to. I mean, I do like music, but I probably create it digitally now, but I used to play the drums. Okay, so you used to play the drums. I used to play the mandolin. Now, if both of us decided that we wanted to pick up and, re and, and learn again and become pretty good again, it would take quite a lot of time and effort. You know, both of us would have to really go for lessons and a lot of practice and really get into it again and really try and practice. Now that, and then eventually we would, we would master it. We'd get back to the point where I'd be able to play the mandolin, you'd be able to play the drums and we'd be able to create music and, and we could do that. That's what the mind is like. The mind is this, it's not just something that you, you're going to just magically attract something and release some superpower. The mind is something that you're using all the time and it requires development. Mm -hmm. And you can't live, when you're dead, you don't have mind. So mind is everything, but most of us don't recognize that we're living in our messy mind versus connecting our messy mind with our wise mind. So we have literally got two minds. And when we understand that and we understand how to connect them, which is a, something that you can train, it's a skill like learning to play a musical instrument. You develop that skill and it's a lifelong journey. That's when you start seeing life in such a different way and you just become open to knowledge and open to learning and learning different ways of doing things and seeing the emotions you experience and the things you experience, not as brain diseases, not as like as reductionistic as a brain disease or a mental illness, but as an experience of life, as a message telling you something that can help you to grow and develop. Mm. And that's, that's sort of the journey that, that I try and teach people to understand is that it's, it's in you, but you have to grow and develop that. It's happening anyway. And that's the other point. It's happening anyway. You can go three weeks without food. You can go three days without water. You can go three minutes without oxygen, but you can't even go three seconds without using your mind. So your mind's always working. The question is, are you managing your mind? Are you is, is mind management part of your lifestyle? Or are you just reactive and just bamboozling through with a, an experimental messy mind that's just kind of taking you down a, a pathway that can make you feel very negative about life? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think there's a lot of people with messy minds there's a lot of people we're going to go into that a bit more detail into you know how we can clear this up what is a messy mind and all that sort of thing and probably dissecting little parts about your book but what I'd like to understand is what is the difference between the brain and the mind I'm sure a lot of people just think well isn't that the same thing <laughs> so yeah a, I'm so glad you asked that question and it's the best place to start because um the, the essentially the I've got some models here and I know people listen as well, but uh, for those of you that are listening, I'm holding up a, a, a model of a brain. It's not a real brain. It's a brain in a skull. Mm -hmm. But in our current narrative of today, you're quite right. People see the brain and the mind as the same thing because that's the language of today. People use it um, in, in that language, in, in this in interchangeably. And this started happening around 40 years ago. 40 years ago, the mind and brain were still discussed as separate entities. And before that, and right back to the ancient wisdom, mind was always seen as separate from the physical. 
And then in the last 40 years, as we advanced in neuroscience, so from about the sort of early 90s, brain became the focus. And as we advanced with medicine, technology, neuroscience, which are all fantastic things, something negative happened though. In, the, in, the, in amongst the positive of learning more about the neurophysiology of the human, we then started going backwards in terms of mind. And I, sh and I should exclude me from the we because I didn't get involved in that science. I stayed stuck with the other science. We, we really kept, we saw mind and brain as separate. But a dominant philosophy sort of dominating the, the narrative of today. And that is that the, the brain and the mind are one that the brain is it, the brain is the number, is the first cause, and it produces mind. Even some scientists even said mind is sort of like a, a byproduct or an accident of the brain. So making that the brain was everything. But just in itself, that is such a, such a, um, a strange notion, because if you did, your brain can do nothing. Your brain will just disintegrate unless you preserve it. It's still not going to do anything. You still stay in the preservative, but it's not going to do anything. I could take a brain out of someone's head and hold it in my hand all day. And with the blood dripping off, sorry to be so gruesome, but I mean, this is a fact. And nothing will happen with that brain. But you and I, as we conversing now, our brains are changing because we are using our mind to change the brain. So the mind and brain are actually two separate things but they work together. So they have a very important relationship and the magic or the mystery or the, the, the transformation occurs when the two connect. So the brain is your physical part of you. It's this incredible structure. It's part of your body. So I'm holding up now a little body, uh, a model of a body. So your brain and body are your physical and that's easy to understand. I mean, you can look at yourself and you can see the physical and we know that there's a brain in our skull. So that's not difficult to understand that concept, but this is not where your mind is. And we do this. We all think our mind is here. Our mind is actually all around us and all through us. So the mind is actually like a gravitational field around you. And it's, it's Einstein spoke about this in the early 20th century and all of his peers spoke about this when they started talking and really understanding things like quantum physics, which is a very accurate and fundamental science. And it doesn't exclude your classical physics, which looks at the very physical things, which looks at what you can see, touch, hear and feel. Quantum physics deals with more the subatomic level, gravitational fields and electromagnetics and things that you can't see. But it's very, it's very real. And we have, we have mathematics for that. We have theories for that. And what the, what the gravitational theorists have found and the quantum physicists have found is that every human body, everything, every substance, every physical substance has a field around it. But with a human body, it's quite complex because of the nature of what it means to be human. So it's almost as though there's this cloud of gravitational fields and electromagnetic fields around and through the human and you can see that with things like if you do an ekg on the heart you'll be able to see electrical activity in the heart if you do a qeeg in the brain which is the technology i use you'll see energy responses in the brain you can you can there's various ways of looking at the blood and heart rate variability all of these are showing fmris all these things are showing action if someone's dead you don't get any response on the technology so what we're looking at that response that is mind so mind is this energy force and when we, when we talk about energy we're talking about a very very strong physics concept you know gravitational fields a, a couple of years back some physicists won a nobel prize for their work on gravitational fields and how to start measuring them and so we're advancing in this but this is actually ancient science. This is really ancient wisdom. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of research for about 150 years on this, but it hasn't been in the mainstream. 
that's yeah. a huge body of science but now you the, the the two bodies of science are talking more which is really good and there's an you know east meets, meets west and and ancient science is meeting more modern science and spirituality and 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 philosophy and science are kind of crossing over and that's so important because it's all the same stuff it's all the same thing it's all about mm. who we are as humans and how we function just from different sides of the coin so i've always wondered why people have a fight to say that science is more important than philosophy because philosophy is science and spirituality is science. it's all the same thing it's just different viewpoints different perspectives mm. um so taking that a little step further so your mind is all around you and through you on the physics if you want to look at it from a sort of physics level on a more neuropsychological level, your mind is how you think and feel and choose. And that's key. You'll see my three fingers are being held together. This is what people don't get. But if you get this, this is fundamental to understanding mind. Mind is how you think. When you think, you feel. When you think and feel, you choose. Those three fingers will never be separated. You can't feel without, you can't feel without choosing. You can't choose without thinking and feeling. It's, it's a sequence. And it's a simultaneous sequence. So as a human right now in our conversation and those of us that are, those that are listening and watching us, they are using their mind, their thinking, feeling, choosing, it's cycling at 400 billion actions per second and faster to process what is being said now, what is being discussed. So yeah. it's our mind, literally this gravitational field, this, this psychological gravitational thing around us and through us that is enabling us to have this conversation and have the experiences of life. And we, we, you, you literally, as I'm speaking to you, you are taking my words and what the light waves, the electromagnetic waves, the auditory waves, all of the everything and converting it through your think, feel, choose, pushing it through the brain and the brain is responding. So this, it moves through the brain. So the mind needs the brain and the, then it uses the brain. And, and as mind connects with brain and that energy force connects with brain, then you, this, this information is converted. These, all these quantum fields and electromagnetic fields and all this electrochemical stuff is, is converted through genetics into little thought trees. So here I've got a little, I'm holding up for those of you that are listening, I'm holding up a little green tree in, in a pot and this is what a thought looks like so the consequence or the product of the mind is a thought and a thought is like a tree and like a tree has roots and branches thoughts have roots and branches and like a tree has lots of roots and lots of branches a thought has lots of roots which are memories and lots of branches which are memories so the roots would be root memories and the branches would be branch memories the difference between them is the roots at the, at the moment, everyone listening is forming a thought about this whole mind, brain, mental health, brain power, whatever they, whatever they've called it. Okay, so um, everyone is is getting this information in the roots. So everything that I'm saying is going into the roots. Everything about our discussion is going into the roots. The tree trunk and the branches are everyone's in, individual or unique interpretation of what they think, feel, and choose about what they're hearing. So we're building, as I'm speaking, at 400 billion actions per second, you're building these roots and branches out of proteins. And those proteins hold the words and the sounds and everything as electromagnetic vibrations in the proteins. And as I'm giving you more information, you grow more branches to accommodate. And this is happening at this incredible speed. And you get more information, you change that and you add, but all the time it starts here and then immediately goes there it starts here immediately goes there at the end of our conversation there'll be a tree with maybe two or three or four thousand or five thousand 
roots with two or three or four or five thousand interpretations. This mm-hmm. then becomes a thought. Then you go and talk about this podcast with someone else. And what are you talking from? You're talking from this thought. So this thought then shows up in your conversations, in your actions, in what you're doing, in how you're changing others, your behaviors. And that's, I mean, that's, and, and we have the power to control this process. And that's this training thing. As you train yourself to replay the, the drums or whatever it may be, or whatever that, whatever it is, I just, that's just a good example. You would, have, you would have an existing memory in your brain already, but that's, it's become a bit shriveled and small because it hasn't been used for a while. Mm. But as you start learning, you'll, it'll, it'll activate that and you'll start building new branches onto that and eventually it'll get a lot of energy and then it will manifest in your play of the drums mm. you know and that's what we can do we can change things then you can stop playing again and 10 years later pick it up again you know that's that's kind of and that's on a simple level now here is a toxic tree so here is i use this representation this is a toxic thought so as real as a healthy thought of playing the drums or having this great conversation or having a wonderful discussion in a relationship or learning new information about body and to improve nutrition, that's all great information. We can have toxic information, politics, COVID, the impact of COVID, the, um, the uh, traumas uh, from COVID, from maybe a bad marriage or abusive work boss or trauma as a child of some sort, maybe bullying or sexual trauma. So every experience is in the root and then the interpretation grows into the branches. So let's say a child is traumatized at a very young age and that is there's no understanding. It totally goes against our natural wired for love design. So their interpretation is maybe it's sexual trauma. The interpretation is shame. I'm not worthy. So they think, feel, and choose these thoughts about themselves. And then that manifests in their behaviors, which may be difficult or aggression or withdrawal and eventually not making it with relationships, increased anxiety, all kinds of things. I mean, I'm just giving you one example. Mm. So that is a product of our mind. And, but that's not necessarily the truth. What we would need to be is to be a thought detective, which is essentially what I was trained to be in my, in my career as, in, as a scientist and in the field I went into was to, and it wasn't directly implied, but this is pretty much what I was trained to do, was to be a thought detective where you would look at what are your warning signals? What would a detective do? They would take the clues and they would then work back and find out, okay, what is the origin? What happened? You know, what is the source of what happened? And that's what you're essentially trying to do with this process. So when mm-hmm. I saw that, when I had patients coming to me with tremendous war trauma or sexual trauma, but they wouldn't come saying that. They would come with some kind of behavioral issue or learning disability. Very often a learning disability, emotional problem, something like that. Or yeah, traumatic the symptoms or of it or something. Yes, symptoms. So they would come, so that's what we would look at, then we would track back to find the root cause. Sometimes you'll know, okay, I mean, I've worked with people that have been in vets from from war, so we know that they're suffering trauma, but they don't know how to put it all together, so they haven't put all the pieces together. So they're just suffering from the trauma of not being, you know, triggered, of anger, frustration, withdrawal, um, not being able to sleep, nightmares, night terrors. Then they get told in the current model that you have a brain disease. Now here they're suffering from trauma and then they get told an even worse diagnosis, not that, oh, let's listen to your story, but they get told they've got something else wrong with them. I mean, it's just fuel on fire and it's mm-hmm. totally inaccurate and totally unscientific and it just makes takes away hope. But if you tell someone, 
okay, there's a reason why this is a, a messenger. It's a PTSD is a helpful messenger. Depression is a helpful messenger. The anger, the addiction, the the over dieting, the over exercising, the body dysmorphia, the addiction, the eating disorder, the constant sadness, the hopping anxiety. None of those are illnesses. Every single one of those is a messenger that you need to now go and take as clues and start being a thought detective to try and find the cause. And then once you found it, you want to reconceptualize it. You, it's happened. It's not going to go away. That trauma is not going to go away. But you can reconceptualize. Reconceptualize is one of the most beautiful words. It's taking X plus Y and creating XY. It's not taking X plus Y and creating Z. Z is like, is Z is then, okay, I'm just going to push it all away and just you know, put a bandaid on the wound and hope that the Z will replace that. But X, Y is kind of hovering in the background. I'm saying X plus Y. So what should have happened? What did happen? X, what did happen? Y, what should have happened? X, Y you, is, is, is going to be that, that combination of X plus Y is how you're living. So this is X plus Y. When mm. you X plus Y comes together. But I change. I look at it from a different perspective. I de deconstruct and reconstruct. So if you look deeply into this tree, you'll see some leaves are light green and some are dark green. And they design like that for the, I'll hold it a bit close. And if you look carefully, you can see that. And I've done it like that for, I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, yeah. Some leaves, like there's a light one and there's dark ones. Now, this is symbolic. It's symbolic of the fact that you can take a trauma and that's, there's the trauma. But it's light now because it's coming to the light and you're seeing it differently. This is how you want it to play out into your future. So now let's say it is that sexual trauma, which has created extreme anxiety, which has created relationship issues. Now you know why you're battling with relationships. So that the signal was depression because you can't get a relationship going. There's just no stability in a relationship. And there's the frustration, the loneliness. All of those are the symptoms, the warning signals. Of an underlying cause but now having been a thought detective you can actually work out okay well this is what i want i want to have a stable relationship i recognize this is why i was battling so this is what i can do to overcome that so my stories now become xy i've reconceptualized it and i'm changing how it's going to play out into my future mm. and so that's in a nutshell kind of what the mind brain connection shows you actually are using your mind to change how your brain and body function. And then there's a few more layers awesome. to that. But I don't know if you want to ask me any questions about that. And then I can go into a little bit more detail about mind. And <laughs> That was pretty amazing. Ooh, ooh. I, yeah. Stuff, isn't it? That was quite, that was amazing. That was amazing. It's a lot to take in. And it's, um, and I think everybody needs to be a thought detective. I probably am not as as deep as you are obviously because you've got like the deep science of it but I am a bit of a thought detective for myself if if I behave a certain way I'm, I'm fully aware if I am in line with my I don't know my normal self or not you know and I'm like okay so what has happened why am I why am I responding differently today um, and I can you know normally trace it back to something where maybe my sleep wasn't good and, um, you know, I, I'll see that maybe I'll, I'll because of my sleep, I'll have a certain taste for some types of foods. I might be a bit more um, abrupt with the words that I use, you know, um, I'm like, right, OK, I need to sort out the sleep, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, uh, and, and understanding if you <clears throat> if you get emotionally hijacked by other people. You know, if other people um, are, let's say, in a bad mood and 
you you might you might just pick up that energy and and then you just pass it on to another person and you wonder why you all of a sudden have become you know grumpy as well and oh, oh i see what happened i spent too much time with that person you know um it's fascinating um it's really fascinating um okay mind brain um that, that, that is if i may interrupt you there for a second that is brilliant what you just said because everything you said that you've just described what i call the interaction between the messy mind and the wise mind so you're what you're saying and, and what i teach throughout my work and you'll see throughout this book you would have heard me talk about mind management and self-regulation and so what you've been doing is self-regulation as humans we all we do do that but we we need to improve that we need to make that an ongoing thing from neuroscience and from the research i've done you can actually do that the entire time that you're consciously awake so from the time you open your eyes to the time you go to sleep you can every literally every 10 seconds you can stand back and do like a, a self-regulation check to see hey how am i responding am i getting grumpy because i was in that contact with those people have i been affected by them am i affecting others what are my words and was i a bit snappy there was i a little irritable did i we we actually can operate in that zone all the time but that does take skill it's very conscious and deliberate and that's why i started with that example of training to become an expert you 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 train your body you train people you it, to get like you are, did not take five minutes. We all get that, but we don't get that with our mind. It's the same discipline that you apply to get your body to the point where it's so healthy and strong and, and well-developed to, you've got to apply that to your mind and you keep working at it. If you stop working out, what's going to happen? I mean, I work out every day too. If you stop working out, it, it's the same principle, but we yeah. don't apply that to the mind. We just like bamboozle through, like people just keep moving but they're not moving enough or they're not moving in a directed way then they won't wonder why their body's not as healthy same thing with our mind our mind is always moving but mm -hmm. then we don't move it in a we're not deliberate and conscious about going and working out on our mind as we are or working out on our body take the same principle then we wonder why our mind is getting lazy so we have a messy mind and we have a wise mind and i always liken it to flying in a plane or in a helicopter and you have your pilot and you have your co-pilot your pilot your messy mind because your pilot is is hoping to navigate that course and and anticipating that things are going to you know go this way and very involved in the process of flying the plane living life whereas the co-pilots the wise mind is able to actually get the big picture and see what's coming up and look back at the past and you know bring it all together and give advice to the messy mind now you need both because you can't just have one or the other the messy mind enables us to experience life, to, to make those mistakes, because it's in the messiness of mistakes that we grow and repair. Mm -hmm. And But the problem is, is that people stay stuck in messiness. They think that that's the norm, but that's, or, or that's where they should live. But messiness is actually something to be managed. So messiness unmanaged is, is a mess, but messiness managed is something beautiful that you can learn from. And the only way to manage messiness is to listen to the co-pilot which is the wise mind, which is the one that you described perfectly in a moment ago when you said you actually spoke to yourself and you said, hey, why am I being a bit irritable? Or I've been around those negative people. So, you know, that energy has gone on me. That ability to stand back and observe your own thinking, that ability to give someone else wisdom in a situation and another perspective, that ability for you and I to have this conversation. This is wise mind. This is us analyzing how we could function better as humans. 
mm. and how as and as humans how we can interact better with the world and i mean that's why you and i do what we do to try and help others function at a at a healthier level so that the world can improve because it takes us as humans to change so on and so this kind of conversation this is the wise mind so what we need to do is apply this on a daily basis because we live with our mind 24 7 you wake up with your mind, you exercise with your mind, you eat with your mind, you talk to your family with your mind, you do this podcast with your mind, you go to bed with your mind, you sleep with your mind, you dream with your mind. Your mind never stops. <laughs> so either it stays in a constant messy state with a bit of self-regulation here and there, or you deliberately and intentionally train your mind. And that's what I teach people to do. What 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 is that? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that'll be interesting. Like, okay, so most people don't know how to manage their minds. I mean, you hear about time management i think people most of the time try to figure that out as that's as far as it, it goes in terms of in terms of managing something um, but you don't really hear about you know mind management like how would you uh, define mind man management and like what yeah what sort of what sort of practices would you do with clients like give a couple of examples absolutely so um basically mind management is exactly what it says it's managing your mind every moment so you what you do is you start training yourself by doing a deliberate 15 to 45 minutes mind management exercise every single day and you do it in cycles of 63 days and you work on a thought at a time as you develop that and i'll go into more detail in a moment as you develop that skill, that very discipline, like you go to the you go to the gym and you work out. Like I, I do orange theory, I do hot yoga, and I go every day or six days a week, whatever, and I work out, and I know it's a fixed time, and I do it daily. Same thing with your mind. So I don't know, you know, you've got to work out. Everyone's got their own workout regimen. Not everyone, a lot of people. <laughs> Same with your mind. You've got to go work it out. So what I have researched is that if you work out. 15 mind workout manage your mind for 15 to 45 minutes every day over a period of 21 days now that doesn't finish it over a period of 21 days when you do a very specific five-step process which is how you manage your mind and that's the neurocycle that i talked about in this book and i'm going to and i developed 38 years ago and it's got tons of science behind it um, i'll explain that in a moment doing the five steps every day for 15 to 45 minutes you are training yourself to be a thought detective you're training yourself to constant to find to look at your symptoms the clues in your life and to track the negative ones obviously and to track those and deconstruct and reconstruct them but you're also looking at the positive clues and growing those because whatever you do that is healthy for you you want to improve on that so by the mere fact that you're constantly looking for new ways of improving nutrition to improve your body etc and your mind and your brain that's you using your your mind management to develop your knowledge so i call that brain building and that i've got a whole chapter in the book on brain building it's one of the most important mental health tools that you can do is to grow your brain with your mind by learning new information every day so in that 45 15 to 45 minute block you could extend that by a little bit longer and you could make it and, and my recommendation and i have a daily routine the last chapter of the book is like a daily routine where you can build build a mind a brain building into the routine so either you can do do um it's a, I, I always recommend to do an hour to two hours a day of brain building and that sounds like oh i've got to sit down and find two hours no not necessarily because you're reading facebook instagram the news you you're spending a lot of time doing that anyway so what you do select take some of that time take an hour of that time even half an hour to start or 15 minutes and use it to learn something new 
So every day if you can, and then you can expand your time. So you can even take five minutes the first day and you build up towards an hour eventually get it to two hours. You are growing health into your brain and resilience into your brain. You're changing all the circuitry of your brain. You're changing the way the neurochemicals flow. You're changing the balance of the alpha, delta, theta, delta, alpha, beta, gamma energy in the brain. You're bringing coherence into the brain and you're making the brain resilient for the challenges of life, which will happen every day. We're going to have little challenges and then we're going to have the big stuff, the acute traumas like COVID, like death in the family, like loss of a finance, like the political situation, the stuff that we can't see happening. And that throws us so much if we don't have the resilience. So brain building is, is, is resilience building so that you know how to bounce back quicker and get access to wise mind. Because in a state of acute trauma or shock or fear, one of the things that happens, and people think that they're dominated by this, people talk about going to fight and flight and going into survival brain, and they think that that's you know, the only thing. That's because they're so brain-focused. That's only one part of you. You also you have your wise mind, which is way stronger than it, your wise mind is working to survival, but it's not dominated by a reactive force. The survival mind is a very deep-thinking and intelligent wise mind that overrides an instinctive reaction that is not a toxic for you and helps you to find a more positive way of reacting. So for example, that the, the, if, if you have, um, you get into, let's say that someone in your family gets really ill and it's a terrible shock. And instead of going into that total flight and fright where you can't function and you don't quite know what to do is the next step, you will have, you'll still have the lurch and the tears and the etc but you will immediately switch into that wise mind you'll access your wise mind which then gives you the deep intuition and intelligence okay what is the next step mm. what am i going to do now how am i going to hold it together to survive through this situation you know and that's something that takes skill so brain building is a big part of that the 15 to 45 minutes that um section that is to detox that's to break down, to look at the toxic patterns in your life. So if there's depression or sadness or any patterns that you notice in your life that are disrupting how you are functioning, that are blocking your, that you instinctively know is your potential. So it's the things that you do, maybe it's snapping at your loved ones or it's getting really irritable in traffic or from little things, sort of little things, which are not little things, but they over time they're very cumulative and very dangerous for the heart and brain to the really big stuff like maybe you know, feeling very depressed for large periods of time, incredibly anxious or having panic attacks. None of those are diseases. Let me stress, they're all clues. They're all warning symptoms. They're all helpful messengers. So you want to find those and you allocate your 15 to 45 minutes to work on those kind of things in your life. And you do it every day, very disciplined. I tell you exactly how in the book, I have an app called the NeuroCycle app, which I walk you through the process. You know, things like dealing with grief, dealing with catastrophizing dealing with people pleasing and you know imposter syndrome all these things everyone's always talking about that grab all of us and if you're finding that's anything that's a pattern and it's normally a mixture it's never normally just one thing it's normally a mixture of stuff um that's what you want to dedicate time to so you so you mm. work in, in these cycles five, five 50 to 45 minutes using the neurocycle which is five steps for 21 days for the first 21 days you're going to identify the toxic from the signals. You're going to identify the roots and you're going to start reconstructing and reconstructing. So it takes about 21 days to get what we call gamma peaks, which means I've got these growing, the healthy ones. This energy has been taken from here. Energy is never lost in the brain or body. It's always transferred. So I take yeah. the energy from here. This then loses and goes, becomes heat energy, and I put it here. I grow this. But now this is tiny. Because in your mind, every single 
experience you've ever had from a certain point in the womb to the age you're at today has become a tree, either good or bad, mostly hopefully good. So we have trillions of these in our mind and in our brain, in our mind, which is the field around us as these energy waves, and in our brain as these protein trees, but also in the DNA of our body. So it's in three places. If we experience, we have trillions upon trillions of experiences in our brain as trees and in our DNA and in our mind as these energy waves. So in three places. Okay, so when we, when we are working through detoxing, we are pulling these up from our mind and our brain and our body, and we are fixing them, changing them. You're not mm -hmm. getting rid of your stories. I said you're re redesigning it, seeing it from a different perspective. Okay, so instead of transmitting the pain that you try and suppress, you're actually reconstructing the pain and you're turning into something that works for you, not against you. And it's a painful process. It gets worse before it gets better. But way through the 21-day cycle, you will start really feeling it. So that's where decompression activities are very important and that kind of thing. Oh, is it because you're opening wounds or something and bringing it to the surface? Okay. This yeah. is a wound. So this is a wound. And this is the wound is hidden behind this, which is the interpret. So this is the root cause. And then this is the interpretation of that. And then that manifests just as the signal, depression, behavior issues, relationship problems. So as yes, as you are opening, it's almost like taking sand. This is a tree and this is buried. Taking a spade, sorry, and digging the sand away and slowly revealing the roots. And when you see what's happened to you, the trauma from the past, that's very painful. And that's why you'll, I talk about that in the book. It's important that you have a support system because if it's very heavy trauma you're dealing with, it'd be a good idea to also be in therapy and to have a support team, a system, system either of loved ones or friends or someone that you can actually talk this through with um, because it's you, you need to share that you know to, it just it, it helps to balance out the emotional trauma that you're going through and just to see things from a different perspective and very important decompression activities so yes there's all that involved as well sorry so i was i was going to ask like whilst you're going through this process where you are you know digging deep and you know taking stuff out and you know it's going to be a bit sensitive and maybe shed a few tears um it, oh, oh, i'm sorry we froze mm. oh no we froze are we back yeah there you go okay <laughs> we are back we are back let's, so, let's see that this i'm just gonna double check this yeah it's on i'm in my tv studio and i've got really good internet here. i don't know what happened there i don't know if it was my side or what anyway ooh. oh gosh what happened now i'm here i see you, you. Okay, there. is that good can you see me now yeah yeah and let me just check my connection mine's through the ethernet so i don't know don't i know. know i think it's you know everyone with its technology today it's yeah. just it happens. We're all using so much of it. So exactly. that's just, yeah, how it goes. And so I, I wanted to ask, so like whilst you're going through this process, um, you know, um, getting rid of, I don't know, all this contamination you have inside you, you know, going through all of that and revealing some scary stuff. I was going to ask, can that be done in replacement of therapy? Um, um or you, because you mentioned it would be good to have people to talk to as well and stuff like that and then i thought oh maybe it's an old like a, a diy therapy session kind of thing um that's a really excellent question and here's my answer your mind is always with you 24 7 
if you're going to therapy, you're going maybe once or twice a week. The average sessions are maybe you, but what do you do with yourself the other 24 <laughs> seven? So you have to have a management plan in place. Mm. So this is, this enhances therapy. So you either, some people manage completely doing this on their own and don't go to therapy. Others feel that they need the therapy support for a season just to help them. Mm. Others will get maybe coaching, less formal therapy, you know, things. So there's some will, some will have a great good friend that they just talk to a good friend or they've got a, a great partner that they can, you know, do the process with because it just it's very much up to the individual so it will enhance whatever but you do it's important to have some something because there are sometimes things that can come up that can be very overwhelming can make you feel very emotional because every every thought is built from thinking feeling and choosing so there's thinking there's feeling which means there's emotions and there's choices so there's a lot of stuff embedded here and look at all the branches. That means there's one thought has multiple memories. This could be a thousand, two thousand memories, root memories. That means thousand, two thousand interpretation memories. How you how you view this? That's the experience. That's your view of the experience. It's very deep, very full, and it's a lot. So that's why I limit it to fifteen to forty-five minutes. And the fifth step of the neurocycle is one of a decompression kind of anchoring step where you don't allow yourself to think of this all day long. You do the work for the 15 to 45 minutes, but the rest of the day, you're not allowed to think about the toxic side. You have to think of the growth side. You have to anchor yourself back. And initially, there may not be any growth. There may not be anything at first. First few days, you don't see much. Um, and it takes time and it's, there's no cookie cutter kind of you know, recipe there's a time frame and there's the science of how to do it, etc. But how your unique story plays out is going to be very different for each person. Hi, guys. I just wanted to take a short break just to inform you that my new book, Your Mind Builds Your Body, is now available on Amazon. As we are discussing much to do with the mindset, I feel it was very relevant, not just for this week, but for something we should be addressing every day of our lives. Now, the book itself takes you through my personal journey, starting from childhood, living in a crime-stricken neighborhood and poverty, to growing up and facing new challenges, how I felt and what helped me overcome it too. It also focuses heavily on my venture to biohack and optimize the body, making my goal not only to have aesthetics and appeal to look as incredible as I can, but also to divulge into the science in learning what methods could potentially slow down aging on a cellular level. This book gives you my training and nutritional principles, which has helped me and continues to help me today. So to grab that book, all you need to do is visit Amazon and search for Your Mind Builds Your Body and grab yourself a copy. You don't want to miss out on this one. So in terms of that, the, the first step, which is called an active reach of the neurocycle, is to end the day's work and to say, okay, what am I going to hang on to today? What have I learned today? And it may be as simple as, hey, I can change my thoughts. That might be the first active reach that you do. I can, I can, I have hope. Or so it may be very simple, kind of neutral statements. Then by day 15 or day seven or day 10, you start saying, I am not shame. I am, or um, it's not my fault, or 
that so in other words you are taking what you find and you and you're giving yourself an antidote and that's what you and then that's what you hang on to for the rest of the day because and then tomorrow you do the work again and that's very disciplined you know that's if you think of how disciplined you have to be in in terms of learning to play a musical instrument or learning to to at a workout at a gym you can't just randomly do stuff to become a professional athlete or something there's a very specific same thing with your mind so when you're detoxing there's a lot of of, of sort of parameters that you want to put in place and that's why i say limit to 15 to 45 minutes don't skip any of the five steps they do different things in the brain that'll give you control because i'm teaching you to get your messy mind listening to your wise mind that knows what to do giving you and there's all kinds of little techniques you can do to keep yourself distant from it so you don't get so emotionally involved and so there's lots of decompression type activities that you can do to protect yourself Awesome. And to manage the process, which is which is really great. Mm. I mean, as you're doing this daily, the, the, the 15 to 45 minutes, the brain building is the same five steps, but instead of breaking something down and building it, you're just learning. You use the five steps to learn new information. And now that's a very fun thing. That's a very positive, healthy thing. So if you start doing that along with the detoxing, the, the one feeds into the other. So you're building in the resilience because your brain physically changes when you brain build. And it changes in a very healthy way that you get stronger. And then the, that, those two together then generate a third kind of level, which is you, where you find yourself doing it all day long. You find yourself neurocycling or doing the five steps. And you, you already explained that you do that. Like you suddenly noticed that maybe you were a bit irritable or you said something in a certain way that was maybe not as kind as it could be. As you go through the day, you notice that. So that means you, so if you notice, that means that you've self-regulated, you've managed your mind. So you're doing it on the day-to-day -day basis. So you can do it detoxing, in, in a specific time and I recommend the morning because your, your, just your cortisol levels flow differently and your hormones flow differently so it's easier but if you can't that's not going to be the end of the day if you use the afternoon or evening just be careful of doing it too close to bedtime because it may affect your sleep if you don't get good closure that's very mm. important but brain building you can do it any time during the day you can break it up you can do 15 minutes in the morning and whatever. And then the other stuff, it's just day-to-day -day stuff. So you're in a conversation and you find yourself saying something in a bit of a harsh way. You see the reaction. So you immediately do the five steps and that gathers, self-regulates you in that way. So in other words, you train yourself to become a very deliberate and intentional mind manager mm -hmm. where you're constantly forcing the messy mind that reacted um, and or the messy mind that got sucked into the depressed person's mood you, you immediately managing that and saying, okay, I, that person's, I don't have to let that mood affect me. I can protect myself from that. I can actually go through the process of creating the boundaries around myself. And as you're doing that in your mind, you're also creating it on a physics level. You change, the, you, you, change you literally put up barriers in your field that stop right. that penetrating, which is fascinating. You know, so you have, and the, the more you do it, the better you get, the more of an expert you become. Oh. That's cool. That is really good. That is really good. Um, the, the, how, how do I phrase this question? So you mentioned that it's, um, you know, your mind is, it's around you. It's around you and through you. So as your mind becomes in a better place and less toxic, do you think others around you could actually feel that? without you speaking? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because you're generating, like Einstein spoke about this, you generate photons. 
all the mm. time. Our body is generating photons. Think of this experiment. This will help you. I don't know if you if you remember at school, they gave you a piece of, I don't know if you ever did this experiment, but they, you had a piece of white paper and there was a pile of iron filings. And then they gave you a magnet and you oh, put yeah. that in the middle of the, and then this whole pattern. Yes. So like, and you were studying, you would have been studying electromagnetic fields and electromagnetic effects and everything. So basically what that's telling us is we know magnets attract attract each other but we can feel it when you push them together you can see it when you put it in the middle of the iron filings but you can't see if you take the if you take the mag you can't see it that's like our mind you can't mm. see it with your visible eyes but if you put it in the middle the iron filings that form that spidery kind of shape is tracking the field of the electromagnetic force and that's what the mind is like it's this field so the iron filings would kind of be what we say and what we do does that make sense yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. magnet on its own the iron filings there's two different things so there's brain and then the iron filings are behavior but there's just a pile of behavior there's no it's just it's your potential to behave in a certain way and there's your brain the, the magnet but now we use the mind and we bring them together now there's a pattern on the page, which is the behavior manifesting. Okay, right, right, so right. that you can control when you. It, it, so we can have it done in a messy way, or we can, or we can manage that messiness because you have to have messiness first before it's managed. <laughs> that's because yeah. the messiness leads to the growth, and then mm -hmm. you grow from there. And that's what's not being told as well because we kind of think, oh, I've always got to be perfect. No, not at all. Part of perfection is messiness. Messiness is, is amazing because it's full of messages that help us to then show how we should be manifesting and change our behaviors. And how can you learn if you don't have the behavior that's messy and you say, oh, actually now that is someone affecting me. So coming to your question, when someone in terms of um, that field around you, um, Einstein showed us that we are emitting photons all the time. So you and I are doing that right now, even though we're separated by um, distance and through, we are connecting through technology, there's no space-time dimension in, um, in quantum physics. So basically it's like we're in the same room because we're both emitting photons to each other because we're both encouraging each other. There's a great conversation happening. We're building off each other. So I'm literally sending photons to you and you send to me and it's a very healthy version but you go to maybe maybe this morning or yesterday or tomorrow it'll happen you with someone who's just negative who's just or you watch turn on you watch something online and it's just some politician screaming their head off and you just feel that you can literally it's almost like someone's shooting something at you so mm -hmm. that's very real when someone's very depressed they're emitting because this is energy this is alive it's generating this energy force like you can't see the the magnetic field but we know it's there you can't see this, but it's there, it's happening. And that's what you're feeling. You're feeling those photons. Mm. You know, and that's that's why it's so important that when you're around someone who is very negative or who is is not to get mad at them, it's to protect yourself because if you don't protect yourself, you can't have empathy for them because you're going to absorb their pain or their anger or their depression. And that because it's not yours, it's very confusing. It creates a lot of confusion in your brain and your body. And mm. then there's guilt because you feel oh shame, they're depressed because of something, but you're feeling so overwhelmed by their depression because it's not yours and it's all wrong and everything's all mixed up it's chaos it's mess but if you protect yourself and recognize okay i care for that person they depressed because of something he has the little thought detector stand mm -hmm. back and say, okay that person is like that and you kind of isolate them. imagine them in a box or something or imagine them behind a glass window or imagine wearing a, a suit of armor any kind of visual 
is a, is, a, is a very quick way of setting up the field around your body that then deflects those photons. So instead of the photons coming in, you use your mind to change the field, which then deflects the photons going out. Then your empathy can rise because now you're in a safe space where you can look at that person objectively and say, okay, that came from a place of pain. Maybe I can help them. See what I'm saying? Yeah, Versus yeah. if that person's depressed and you, and it's just all the time, or they're very negative, or they snap at you. It's very, if, you, if you're unprotected, you absorb that, and then you're going to react. And it could be an angry response, and then a fight starts, and you all walk mm. away from being awful. Mm. Almost increasing that negative energy more, isn't it? Exactly. Amplifying it. Science. I mean, this is totally, this is the kind of power we have with our mind to, to deflect these, these, these situations to, and, and, you know, I did a podcast recently on kindness. And it's one of the things that really lacking in the world today is we don't have enough kindness. Kindness is something that is one of the most, it's such a superpower. It's such a, you can turn kindness on because it's a natural survival instinct. It actually increases the resilience of the brain. You get an incredible neurophysiological effect when you, when you are kind. So kindness requires so someone who's depressed or angry around you. By you protecting yourself through kindness, you can then generate kindness. So you can be kind to yourself first by saying, okay, I want to be kind to myself to protect myself because I don't want that negative energy coming in me. And then as soon as you're kind to yourself, then you protect yourself. You can then be kind to that person. So instead of then getting irritated or strong body language or horrible words back or whatever, you don't do that. You actually just immerse them in kindness. Now, that is a very neutralizing force. It actually sends out a waveform that kind of neutralizes. Imagine their toxic energy and imagine the kind energy. This will neutralize that. Mm neutralizing agent so that person may still say grumpy but it's certainly going to neutralize the situation because you can't control the person it doesn't mean that they're suddenly going to be nice or that narcissistic person is going to suddenly change but you can protect yourself mm. you can't change someone else you can create an environment around yourself and you can neutralize environments by kindness and that kind of thing and that's where this power resides it's very powerful stuff amazing yeah 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 wow wow one of the things I also wanted to say was I mentioned you do the 15 to 45 minutes for 21 days, but mm -hmm. that's also not enough. You've got to go what I've shown in my research. And I, in the first part of the book, I put my latest clinical trials. So there's some nice pictures and graphs and things. And um, what I showed is that 21 days, you know, we always hear that it takes 21 days to build a habit. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't. That was a myth that was started back in the, in the 60s. It was actually, it wasn't even a myth initially. It was a, it was a, a surgeon who was speaking about the fact that the body stem cells take cycles of three weeks to heal, but it was kind of misinterpreted and got into myths like legends do, and right. it became this thing. <laughs> so there's very little research actually countering that. So I think there's about five of us, and five, maybe 10 of us in the world that have actually tried to understand how long does it really take to build a habit. Anyway, so the research is in this book and it actually takes cycles of 21 days. So it takes a minimum of three cycles of 21 days. So 63 days or nine weeks before you have a habit that will change behavior. Nice. So, and that's what's very big on this. So after 21 days, you've got this new reconceptualized thought, but it's very small, doesn't have a lot of energy. And because it's so small and doesn't have a lot of energy, it's not going to impact your behavior. So you know you've done the work. You know you've changed. You've found the reasons. You know why you're depressed or frustrated or irritable, but you're not getting the behavior change. So you feel stuck and it can create a lot of emotional frustration and can actually make you get worse again. 
So, but that's but if you persist, if you push beyond the twenty-one days, so from day twenty-two to sixty-three, which is another forty-two days, all you do is step five. You just do what we call an active reach. You kind of get a summary statement, literally create a summary statement of whatever it is that you reconceptualize. So let's say that it was, for example, that you are have had this trauma in childhood, it was affecting relationships, you've worked out why, and now you are working on your relationships. So now you have to consciously for 42 days practice these positive things about your relationship. So find two or three or four statements and type them into your phone. In my NeuroCycle app, I've actually got a thing called Active Reach Reminders. You type them in and it pops up on your phone, like the reminders on your phone, and it mm. pops up. And then you can remind yourself just to read it and then practice using it that day. And it's that simple act that will take you between one and seven minutes that will convert that thought, the tree, into from a small tree into a very strong, powerful tree that, and I say thought tree, that then impacts behavior. So when you're in that now, that new relationship, instead of falling back onto I can't form relationships or something, it or I'm too anxious or something or whatever, you actually remember, oh, I was like that, but this is the new way. And you can yeah. then apply the dark green because it's the new way of functioning. And then you practice that. And then, you know, so that's, and even as you're going through trauma, you may find that in the first 21 days, you only discover like a section and you say, oh, okay, that's part of it. So I need to do another cycle to find that. And then to find that, I mean, you might have to do five or six cycles. And I've had some patients who've gone through whole, 17 cycles over a period of a year, right. 365 year, days of, in the year, divide by 21 gives you 17 cycles. And that's just the first 21. The other, because you, you can run, once you've run, once you're doing the, this, the, the, six, the 42 days, this, the next six weeks, that's just a minute or two a day. So you can run those parallel. So you can be working on something new and you can be practicing at the same time. Because mm. it's always dedicated in the morning. The practice stuff is just throughout your day. So it's not something huge in terms of time. And I've had some patients who've taken a whole, sometimes a year, two years to, it's normally been within a year that you'll find that, um, you know, it's even sort of six months to a year that you can start really sorting out the big stuff. But then there's what, another carryover, so. Well, I was going to say, like, what, what will determine how long it might take? Is it because they're in a, they could be in a worse place? There's a lot more digging up that needs to come out, a bit more stressed, a bit more anxious? Or... There's so many factors. Like, if you take right. the situation of the pandemic it's a lot of people are doing a lot of deep thinking at the moment it's changed how people are valuing their life so it's created a lot of people really thinking deeply about what counts so there's there's a lot of people doing a lot of work at the moment in the current climate globally which is very interesting um we because this this change has has made us reevaluate what's important and what's not important mm. at the same time some people that's if you've got the privilege of being in an environment where you actually are safe and you can do this and you've got the finances and you're not worrying about basic stuff. Other people have got into worse situations because they've lost loved ones, they've lost finances or they've been more abused because the level of abuse has increased. So in a, in a situation where someone is, where abuse has increased, this is going to be very hard for them to do this kind of work. It's going to be very much protective work to survival work that you're doing. So, um, you know, and, and learning how to protect yourself emotionally, there's a lot of emotional abuse. Obviously, if people under physical abuse, they need to, as far as possible, get away from it and go to a safe home. But sometimes it's, it's emotional, which is terrible too. Um, but it's, and, and, but if, if you can learn to, to manage your mind in those situations, it's more difficult in an abusive situation. It's also more difficult, it, the bigger the problem, 
often the longer it will take. It's also so much around where yeah. the person is in their life. So I wouldn't, I don't even think there's a prescription one could give for that because it's so, it's so deep that yeah. very often, you know, as something's happened, there's, it's it pervaded so many areas of one's, on, of one's life. You know, there's a case the other day that I was interviewing someone who um, had so many issues, you know, abused for almost 13 years as a child and then went to get help from the church and got more abuse there and got told they were sinners. And so there was now religious abuse on top of sexual abuse on top of, you know, it was a long time before that person actually managed to find, to feel any value in themselves, you know? So, and that's, and it was only when that person actually realized, Hey, I don't have to be controlled by my thoughts. Thoughts are something that I can control. And they took back. So, so maybe to answer your question in a definitive way, I can't tell you the time, but what I can tell you is it's the realization that, I've got to control my life. When people get that realization that I'm in control of my life, I'm not being controlled by others. I'm not being controlled by some mystical force out there. I'm actually in control and can work with whatever you believe. Yeah. Um, and that, that, I mean, as soon as people have that, it builds hope. And as soon as people have hope, they get empowered. And I talk about that in my book about the pathway to empowerment, where you can suddenly one day look and say, okay, this is terrible. This is toxic. It's toxic stress. But you know what? This is a barrier. It's a, but I can see this now as a possibility, as an opportunity. And I start feeling empowered. I've got to make this choice. I've got to control this. When people start recognizing that, and then recognizing, and that doesn't decry from the socioeconomic circumstances, the political circumstances, racism, all the things that are contributing factors to a person's state that they're in, in any one stage. You may not be able to fix those very systemic things in that moment, but you can learn how to get peace in yourself and start getting a level of hope so that you can start fight, fighting, fight, fighting some way through the systemic issue. Does that mm. make sense? Makes total sense. Makes total, total sense. Um, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. What about, you mentioned a little bit earlier about just how the mind can be used to heal disease and stuff like that. I'd like to go a little bit more into um, how our thoughts uh, physically affect our bodies. Would you be able to go into depth? And, Absolutely. You know? and, and just to help people understand, I've actually got to show you a picture in, in my book of a brain scan. And just to show you, now in my research, what I do is I look at three levels. I look at the psych the psychological so are you and i to look at the psychological the mind to look at what you're thinking and feeling and choosing i'll use various different psychological measures but the most important measure is how you're self-regulating and your story those are the most important so not so, so much i use standard scales because that's what's accepted in, the, in, in, in research, but they don't tell you much. They really just tell you how you're feeling in that moment. Mm. So I look more at a person's understanding of mind management and self-regulation, and then what is happening in your life? How do you see your life? What's the story of your life? What's going on? So in my, that's what I do my, in my work, okay? Then I look in the brain in terms of looking at a Q, I, I use QEEG technology, which is looking at the electrical activity in the brain in terms of the energy response that the brain has of you, to you in life so you in right. life and your brain is responding if you're dead your brain doesn't respond as I, so in other words it's, it's a very good indicator of mind in action the qeeg 
And mm. then I look at various different biomarkers. Um, for example, cortisol, easy one to understand. We all know when people are very stressed, cortisol rises, glucose rises. Um, and things like homocysteine, which shows inflammation in the brain and the body and um, shows that your heart's being strained and things like prolactin, which is an interesting one because we think of that as women breastfeeding, but it's actually becoming a very strong um, indicator of people's ability to manage their emotions, male and female. Obviously, females have higher levels, but if it goes beyond a certain level, um, if it rises too much, um, it's a very... It's, pretty much correlated with emotional states when people are very anxious or, or stressed or not managing the emotion trying to suppress stuff not deal with their stuff prolactin will increase so it's a very so in other words i look at a lot of indicators i also look at things like telomeres which are on the dna and a telomere is at the end if you think of dna the ladder and you pull out a chromosome it looks like a little x and where my fingernails are that would be a telomere so chromosomes look like x's and mm -hmm. they can code. And then the telomere is at the end of the chromosome and very important for the health of the chromosome, for replication of cells, therefore for health of cells, therefore for health of body. And we make around about a million cells every every second, which is phenomenal. Could be more. Um, and the, the health of the quality of those cells is dependent on the health of the telomeres. And the health of the telomeres is dependent on your mind, which is oh, super right. interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we can see, so for example, we had subjects at the beginning of our trial, all of them came in with very strong narratives of lots of stuff going on, negative stuff. And a lot of them saw themselves as depression because they'd been diagnosed with clinical depression under the current medical model so they were told they had a brain disease so that's how they saw themselves they felt hopeless they said well this is it i can't do anything about it i am depression i am i am clinically i have clinical anxiety and you know and then when they started telling us their narrative at first the narrative was just all the problems but as time progressed the narrative was oh i have problems because of and then the narrative progressed to oh depression is a sign of an underlying issue and that's where you want to get. So over the 21 days, we saw that that, that change. By day 63, they, there was behavior change. They said, okay, depression I'm not scared of. Depression is a, is a messenger. And depression is telling me something. I'm going to be a thought detective. Now I know what to do. I'm not scared of depression. When I get depressed, I know what to do. And that was what's happening by day 63. So if you look, and I'm going to link this all back to your question in a moment. Mm. If you look at this image over here, which is in the book, this is a head map. And it's looking at, for those of you that are watching, I'm showing um, something called a head map at circles. And there's um, three rows. And the top row is day one, day 21. Second row is day 21. And the third row is day 63. So it's showing images inside the brain in a circle. So it's like looking in the brain from the top down over the three periods of the study. The point being here is the first row, the brains are blue. And the second and third row, they're gray and green. Gray. Um, shades of gray are, means that the balance, the balance in the brain is correct. You think of the waves of the sea. Far out at sea, the waves are big. And then as you come in, they get a little bit smaller. And then they build into a, into a, like up to a crest. And then there's the white crest. And then they crash on the beach. And then there's a, like little ripples. And then it goes back in the sea. Okay, that's what we want. we want. Those are the different waves of the brain. So when someone is managing their messy minds, when the messy mind is working with the, with the wise mind through mind management, through self-regulation. So like when you were saying things like, um, oh, I was maybe uh, affected by that person and I'm not going to be affected by that person. Or maybe I could have said this in a nicer way. When you do that, the waves will flow in the way I've described. Mm. But if you carried on being using words in a harsh way or started getting depressed yourself, then those waves wouldn't have functioned like that. 
the chances are that the, 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 if you got very depressed, you would have start getting the waves would start going very flat. You wouldn't have those beautiful definitions between them. Or if you started getting very anxious, you would have too much of that the crest. You know, the where the big these big waves building and crashing on the beach. Mm -hmm. So what we see here is this person at the beginning of the study has got a blue brain, and that's a lots of blue showing that there's flat lines, showing that there's a lot of low energy, low blood flow, low oxygen lack of coherence between the two sides of the brain. And they were saying things like, I am clinical depression. I don't have right. hope. This is wrong. It, it, the whole story was what was going wrong. By day 21, which is the middle row, they had a lot of gray, which means that their brain had stabilized, which is what, exactly what we wanted. We got the correct flow of all the energy, which means that they were saying, oh gosh, this is hard. This is scary. I'm now seeing why I was depressed. It's making me really sad and even increasing my anxiety, but I know what's going on. That's what happened by day 21. By day 63, they knew how to manage it. So the gray shows and I'm, that there's stabilization. The green, right at the front of the brain, there's a strip of green. So right above the eyes, there's a strip of green. And that shows the introspection, the intuition, the self-regulation, the ability to observe I'm depressed because of. That's increasing, which is fantastic. Mm. That's what you're wanting. In the first brain, there was none of that. It was just total low energy so they were just being reactive and thinking well that's it i'm just a depressed person there's nothing i can do and believing every every toxic thought that came at them and everything seeing everything through the color of through through depression etc so basically to answer your question is that this person um they all their homocysteine levels and the cortisol levels and the everything indicating potential neurological cardiovascular immune issues were a big problem and they were pretty sick pretty sickly they were starting to develop all kinds of problems that particular subject had gone through lots of different medications lots of different therapies and there was a lot of physical illnesses by day 21 they the the all those levels had stabilized they, um, the homocysteine, cortisol, everything had gone to normal levels. By day 63, they had completely normalized, which is unreal. They were starting to, they, they health-wise, much, much better. And um, the telomeres were now longer. You want long, strong telomeres, like long, strong fingernails. You don't want short, broken fingernail telomeres. Mm -hmm. um, and they were very short and, and weak at the beginning. Okay, so what has that got to do with health? If all those, if your brain is, if you've got a blue brain, if you've got inflammation in your body, high cortisol, short telomeres, if you've got all of that stuff, that physiology, neurophysiology, you're, you're, you have increased the vulnerability of your body by 35 to 98% to illnesses. Wow. So I am not saying that if you're depressed, you're going to get cancer. I am not saying that. That is That would be a dangerous thing to say. I'm also not saying that if you think happy thoughts, the cancer goes away. That's a very dangerous thing to say. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that whatever illness is in your body, see that as a, as, as it could very well just be that you caught a virus, but why did you catch the virus? Maybe there's a vulnerability in your body. No guilt, no condemnation. As soon as you feel guilt and condemnation that oh, I'm, I'm bad, I did this to myself, we're all doing this to ourselves. We all of us live in a, with messy minds. Messy minds increase our vulnerability. All of us basically are pretty vulnerable to what's going on our, around us. But we can decrease our vulnerability by increasing our mind regulation, our mind management, our self-regulation. Because the more we increase our self-regulation, the, the healthier the environment is that we create around and through our body. Therefore, our body's natural healing defenses and a natural pharmacopoeia can start improving. And then whatever medications you're on can work better. 
and you can start healing quicker. So there's a lot of research showing that when the mind is involved in healing, people will heal quicker from the cancer. The cancer treatment works better. The, um, the surgeries work better. The, I mean, it's just endless cases where you'll have two pay. I've got a lot of my friends are doctors and in one endocrinologist always tells the story and I always like to tell the story that she has, she'll have two patients and uh, two patients that she's seen. One has got very severe thyroid issues and is like really seriously ill. And she's there on all this medication and so on, but they've got such a good attitude. They really are, their mind is regulated and they, she, she would give them the neurocycle to do. She still does. And to have another patient who's not nearly as bad, but their mind is so messed up that they actually get sicker than the one who is a sicker person. And I mean, there's so many documented cases like that. So our mind plays a massive role in the effectiveness of medication in the effectiveness of our healing. You know, there's, there's, there's stories of people that live with cancer that they were supposed to die after six months and six years later, they're still alive. Yes, they still have the cancer in their body. They still have symptoms. They still need treatment. But their mind is so, is so regulated and in such a good place. And they don't hide. And I'm not talking about suppressing. Suppressing is one of the worst things you can do. Pushing these things down. They're there. They're alive. They're volcanic. They're doing the damage. I'm talking about embracing, processing, and reconceptualizing. So if you've got in a cancer and, you, and you're going through cancer treatment and you're feeling really depressed about this, that's okay. It's not that there's something wrong with you. You have every reason to feel depressed. So what you want to do is embrace the depression as a message and, and process it and reconceptualize it into, this is okay, I can feel depression. It's pretty lousy having, having cancer and having to go through this treatment and lose hair or whatever it may be, or going through having an autoimmune issue where you now got to have you know, dialysis for your kidney or something like that. That's awful. So you don't mm. want to suppress those emotions. You want to embrace them, but you want to manage them. And that's the difference. That's what being a thought detective, that's the message that I'm teaching is don't be scared of emotions. They're messengers, wherever they're coming from. As you embrace process and reconceptualize them, you change the environment of your body and you're giving yourself a better chance of managing whatever's going on in your body and reducing your chance of exposure um, or vulnerability. You're reducing the vulnerability level of your body to disease. Mm, amazing. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot to take in. I thought that was powerful. It is a lot. It is yeah. a lot. Yeah. Is a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it, yeah. It, it just all makes sense. It all makes sense. Um, I, I remember I wanted to do a, 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 a telomeres test, but then I heard that there's, I don't know. There's so many conflicting factors with different types of tests. They're saying, you know, that's just um, a partial factor to longevity, you know, because, uh, you know, you, you do different tests to find out, uh, all right, like, you know, am I prone to sickness or um, do I have certain predispositions? How can I avoid it? So I've done different genetics tests and the telomeres one was one that I was looking at um, but I didn't hear enough. It's like some said it was good. Some said, yeah, maybe. But yeah, maybe the telomeres alongside other factors will help to determine a bit more um, of a, a robust, um, um, I don't know, comprehensive thing. Yeah. It, yeah. it's, a, it's a new area. There's a lot of ethics around it as well. There's a mm. lot of, it's a very new field and there's a lot of genetic, genetic ethics issues around, you know, telling, because you tell someone that you've got the, 
proclivity for X, you put that in their mind. Now the chances of getting it have increased. So, you know, I'm a little wary of that. And also you need to track it over time. Now, in the past, they used to think telomeres only, you could only track them over sort of five-year periods. Now we can look at them over periods of nine weeks and you can see change. So my, my research is one of the early, one of the first, there's a few, there's a lot of brilliant researchers that have done a lot more than I have, but mine is, a, is one of the few in the field that shows that you can have changes in telomeres in as short as nine weeks. And mm. I didn't have any dietary changes in my subjects. It was all mine. And wow. so most of the telomere research has been done around dietary factors, changes in lifestyle, like a lifestyle, things like exercise and diet. There's not a huge amount around um, this level of, of mind management. There's, there's stuff around meditation. So it's a new field. And mine is one of the first studies to show mind, very deliberate, intentional, self-regulated mind management in a very deliberate way, like I've described, um, mm -hmm. impacts how the telomeres function. So, yeah, Amazing. so it's, it's a field that is, is it, it always worries me a little bit when they put things out to the public when it's not a fully developed field at this mm. point. Yeah. Um, and it's got a lot of potential for the future, but it needs to be used in a more scientific um, sort of realm and medical realm before, it's, I think, because it can be confusing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What could you tell me about uh, like neuroplasticity? Like, how do you capitalize? Um, on 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 directed neuroplasticity using uh, the neurocycle. Yes. So basically, everything that I've been saying—the fifteen to forty-five minutes every day, the brain building, the using it in the in the moment with depressed people and so on, like, and and you catch yourself saying negative words, you know that kind of thing. Right. Um, all of that is directed neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity right. is that the brain is always changing, and it changes. The, the agent of change is the mind. So the brain can't change on its own. The brain changes because of the mind. So the brain's always changing. So messy mind, messy brain, messy body, messy telomeres, messy mm -hmm. DNA, messy, messy um, histam homocysteine and so on and so on. So when you manage your mind, you're changing your brain as well, but in, a, in an organized way. So think of this fact, the brain is never the same because the mind is never the same because every day, you are experiencing new things. So as you wake up in the morning, between the time you wake up and the time you go to sleep, you're going to experience somewhere between eight and 10,000 events, which will all change your mind, which are all mind, process through your mind, and that will build into your brain. So if your brain is changing all day long, at nighttime, you're processing those changes. So, and you're preparing your brain for the next day. It's housekeeping. So there's more changes happening in your mind and your brain. So it's a constant ongoing change. So because of that factor, because of the fact that it's always changing, neuroplasticity, neuro means brain, plastic means to change. The brain is always changing because the mind is always changing because you're always experiencing new things in life. So the neurocycles, the five-step process that I've developed to direct your change so that it, it puts it, it's not a new therapy technique, it enhances therapy. It's not uh, a CBT technique. It's not a technique. It's a system for how humans can pretty much manage their mind get the messy mind to talk to the wise mind. So it's, it, that's really what is it's your first cause. It's, it's mind drives everything. So it's how do I make sure that my messy mind is listening to my wise mind so that I'm driving my exercise, my eating. I mean, you can lose up to 80% of nutrition. You may be eating a great 
great clean food, but if, you, if you're worrying or anxious or worked up about something, you can lose up to 80% of the nutrition. You can be doing a workout. The other day, my husband and I were working out and one of the people said, oh, you're here early today. You're just trying to get your workout over and done with. And I immediately said, no, I'm not just trying to get my workout over and done with. Mm -hmm. That mindset, I'm going to lose up to 80% of the benefit to my body. I go mm -hmm. in with the right attitude to my, a workout. Yeah. So that's basically, so the neurocycles is basically how anyone from, my youngest patient was three. My oldest patient was 85. I've trained people around the world, millions. Now use the system from very young to very old. It's, it's, if you're human, you've got a mind. This is how you manage your mind, basically. Mm, mm, mm. Love it, love it, love it. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh, man. When people say that about training, like, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Um, people who don't train, like, um, how do you do it? Like, it must be, oh, it's, it's too hard or I'm like, I, I do it because I love it. Like, I don't need to think about it. And they, they ask me, how do you do it? I'm like, I don't know. Well, you just go and train. I don't, I don't know. Like how many other ways can I tell you? Just, exactly. just, just go and do it. It's the mindset behind it. The mindset is behind because they're saying, oh, it's hard. Is it? So all of that's blocking their ability. They, everything's just conforming to that and it's driving that negativity but if you mm. go there okay well i'm just going to do a 10 minute workout and see how and you know start with five minutes or whatever and then just from there you know progress so yeah it's true it's a choice that you make people say yeah. i can't we say i can't is a decision yes yeah. um and yes there's a lot of sometimes reasons why we feel we can't but once you know that you can overcome the i can't that's when you can start with you have the power in you to, to change the i can't into even if it's a teeny change that's when that's when progress occurs i see it as an option a lot of the time yes um you know not even so much a choice i mean yeah it's a choice for everyone but i, I see it as well it's 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 an option like you if you can do it then wow that's i see it as an incredible thing you have the option to better yourself do you know how great that is yeah. you know like it so it just baffles me the whole idea that you know people are like oh I don't know if I can do that like you don't know if you can take care of yourself like is that not important yes. you know it's the messy mind that's the dominance of the messy mind where they have been they've been so overwhelmed by the current messaging of you're a broken person you're 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 a broken brain there's something wrong with your brain people's hope has been taken where they've been deflated like a balloon that's been deflated and mm. what you've got to reinstall that hope in people again. You know, that's yeah. what you and I are doing is you're showing people actually you can. It's not some magical five-step process or magical seven steps or magical seven minutes. It is a lifestyle. It's like you you go three, you can go three weeks without food, three days without water, three minutes without oxygen, but you can't even go three seconds without thinking. Yeah. So you're always thinking, which means you take your mind to exercise too. You know, you take your mind to you know, nutrition, to the meditation, to the conversation, to the studying, to everything. It's everything it's yes. first let's 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 lastly let's talk about the mindfulness um can i interrupt you one second i have sure. another can i just check my next interview i think is starting now oh, oh is it hey. i'm okay. due to start um two, yes sorry i'm supposed to be doing this at 2 30 it's now, I'm so sorry. I have, I didn't, we've been talking for so long. I didn't even know. I, I have know. to, my producers texting me like crazy to come into the studio. To Do say, your thing. It's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, uh, quickly, you're on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle, please? Dr. Caroline Leaf. 
Awesome. And um, I'll find you on social media and I'll put any other links in the show yeah, notes. We can, we can send it to you. So Dr. Caroline Leaf is all my social media. That's my Instagram. And then from there, they can get to everything. Drleaf.com is the webpage. My, my podcast is called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. We need to have you on my webpage, on my, my, uh, my podcast sometime as well. So please, please, we, can send, we can send you the, the links as well. So Sounds everything. amazing. Caroline, thank you so much. It's been thank an absolute you. pleasure been a pleasure talking to you as well thank you so much i've really enjoyed it thank you for tuning in today's episode any guests which i have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips so always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links which will be written in the show notes these shows are financed by my sponsors so your contributions are always greatly appreciated any clickable links with discount codes will not only provide you with the best services, but will help out the podcast too. So thank you. If you do like the Roger Snipe Show podcasts, then why not give it a review? A five star would be awesome, but some great feedback on what you liked about the show or what you would have liked to hear would be helpful too. Until next time.